Hello, and welcome to Women With Books. I'm your host, author Lindsay Emery. Happy, happy, happy new year! <laughs> this is honestly my favorite time of year. I love January 1st. It's like Lindsay Emery's holy day. I love planners. I love goals. I love a clean house after Christmas. I love fresh sheets of paper and new pens and sitting down and being all visiony and futuristic. I just I just love it. I love it. So if you're listening to this podcast on January 1st or 2nd, you know what I'm going to be doing. I am I am just basking in my new planner in new ideas and and social media schemes and oh just love it so much. I think it's appropriate then that my guest today is Ronnie Lauren. And you're probably asking why? What does Ronnie have to do with you sitting in a room with a bunch of planners? Well, (laughs) Ronnie would probably laugh at you because she's a planner nerd like me. And she loves the self-help nonfiction genre. And we talk a little bit about that in this interview, along with her new book that's out January 1st. It's called The One You Fight For. It's the third book in her daring and critically acclaimed contemporary romance series. And we also talk about that in this interview. Now, I was sort of tossing around the idea of doing a Women With Books reading challenge this year. I had a list and graphics all ready to go. I had some discussions with some friends and colleagues and and then I realized um, Ronnie Lauren has already done one. <laughs> so I'm just putting the link to Ronnie's reading challenge here in the show notes so that you too can have a fun and simple framework to set all your reading goals for 2019. And also in the spirit of Ronnie, because basically she's already done everything that I figure out. She's like three steps ahead of me, which I'm trying not to get competitive, but I mean, seriously. (laughs) But um, I read this book and I actually was like, oh, I love this book so much. This is a true story, y'all. And I went on a Facebook group. I'm like, you guys, I have to recommend this book. And Ronnie's like, oh yeah, I've already read that. So anyway... (laughs) I thought I'd share my number one book recommendation for anyone who is trying out some New Year res- New Year's resolutions this January. It is called, the book is called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Now, I read the book, the paper version, but I know a lot of people really like the audible version or the, um, yeah. So, you know, if that's your jam, know that that has a lot of recommendations. I have not personally listened to that, but like I said, lots of people like it. I won't say this book changed my life yet, but it, if you are looking for a way to start new habits or in some bad ones, this book lays out clear, concise, and motivating ways to do that in a way that I have not seen in a lot of other books about habits. Um, I feel like this book will 
really help you understand how new habits get started, how you have to replace bad habits with new habits. I just think it's a great book for a lot of people to start off the new year with. So I will put that book and the links to all the books we recommend in this podcast in the Women With Books newsletter. I always say it's one of the best parts of this podcast is actually the newsletter part. I'm going to try and put some extra content in there um, for January with some nonfiction book recommendations and um, you know special recommendations from some other guests that we've had on. So sign up for that newsletter at womenwithbooks.com or the link in the show notes. Show notes. Ugh. That's one thing that will not change in 2019 is the fact that I can't always speak coherently, which is a shame when you have a podcast. (laughs) And now on to the interview with Ronnie Lauren. Welcome to Women With Books. Today, I'm very excited to talk to Ronnie Lauren. Welcome, Ronnie. Hi there, Lindsay. How are you? I'm doing great. I love that we um, are both in the same city. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and we're like, still on the internet talking to each other, right. which is probably the best way to talk to anyone across Dallas. But <laughs> yeah, we don't have to go in, out in the heat this way, so we can stay we, in our air-conditioned homes. <laughs> or deal with like an hour's worth of traffic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we should just do a weekly um, meet Dallas author meetup this way. <laughs> <laughs> right. How how are you doing these days? You've got and you're in the middle of a trilogy. Trilogy is that what we're calling it? It's it's actually going to be four books. So oh, I'm in okay. the middle of books two and three. So book two just came out in June, and book three will come out in January. Um, yeah, this series follows a group of four women and some other people, but um, 12 years later, after they've been through a school shooting. So they come back together for a documentary and haven't seen each other um, in years and kind of reconnect friendship-wise and also fall in love because it is a romance. Um, So it's a little bit of a different kind of backstory for a romance, but um, it is a, you know, hopeful, uplifting book, even though it has a dark backstory. Now, we ha- I have to ask, how did you get the idea for, yes, I want to write the HEAs of a school shooting yeah. <laughs> survivor? Yeah, that's kind of the reaction everybody gave when I was pitching it to publishers, like, oh, well, that's, you know, different. Um, <laughs> but I I read a, very widely, and I read a lot of nonfiction, and um, a lot of my ideas kind of mesh together from that. But I had read Columbine by Dave Cullen, which is a really great um it, it covers a lot of things and it's, it's really done with a, a you know a good touch and it's interesting that the stuff that we didn't hear in the news back then because Columbine happened you know and we just saw the news clips of you know sound bites and stuff but I read that and that kind of gave me the initial idea that I wanted to give people who have been through that unfortunately now a lot of people have been through that which is awful um but I wanted to show that they're not just a news story that happens for 30 seconds on the news, that they have to go on with their lives. They have to deal with the trauma of it and um, everything in their life is affected. So I wanted to show that process of the healing and that they still deserve their happily ever afters, probably more than any of us. Um, so I wanted to put it in that context because a lot of books about school shootings or not, you know, they're thrillers or they're much more about the crime aspect of it. And these books are not. So the crime has happened a long time ago. This is not suspense. This is much more about where do we go from here? How do we define ourselves as not just the 
person in the news story? Like, how do we move on and and accept being happy when we've lost so many people too? Like, is it okay to be happy? So it was a lot of emotional content to deal with, which is what me as a writer, I that's what I like to dig into. I need a lot of emotional depth in order to me to write the book and to be you know interested in writing the characters. So. I. I think I was one of the ones that when you I first heard about this, so I'm like, oh, whoa, Ronnie, what what you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> like, that's, right. that's, that's crazy. But, um, okay, so I was at the movie theater this weekend, and they were showing a, I don't know, clip, or not clip, trailer for this movie, and I don't even know what it was about, but it was like a post-World War II movie, mm-hmm. and like the, the guy who came back and his PTSD and stuff, and I, and I finally realized I put it together I'm like you know what? we we do we do stories about that people coming home from war and, mm-hmm. and dealing with their PTSD and their happy endings and we've done I've read books about people who survived 9-11 and how they rebuilt their lives and and so why not why not do these kinds of traumatic events and also give these people their HEAs and um because it's just I don't know. I'm, it's it's just like a war. I mean, sure. I, that sounds that sure. sounds basic, but it is. I mean, you mm-hmm. went through something traumatic. You you have a group of people that understand you, and you know how you come to terms with the rest of your life about that. Um, so yeah, once I kind of shifted into that, I was like, oh well, duh. Because I think what what you said was exactly right. Is that we see it as like a thirty second blip. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, we've gotten over it. Why can't someone else get over it? And it's, right. it's not like that at all. Yeah. And I think, too, I, I graduated in 97. So it was kind of like the generation right before school shootings became a thing that we've actually had to worry about. Not that there weren't ones before, but I think now it's like always in the consciousness of kids, especially, you know, in high school, going to school, that that's just a risk that they have to take. They do all these drills, you know, um, the lockdown drills and things. So I, a lot of my readers are younger, like, you know, in their twenties. Um, and I think it's because they've grown up kind of having this as a, a back background threat, you know, which is awful. And I have my own son, so I worry about that. But, um, so I think people have connected with it in that way too, of like, this is a reality that we have to deal with. And, you know, kind of a way to explore it in fiction, which is how a lot of us explore, you know, difficult things with, through reading books. So, have you gotten any um, blowback, negative, or have people, you know, reached out to you in any way about this? I was really worried. Um, my tagline on my website is for fearless romantics, um, and so I tend to write things that I consider a little edgy or whatever and this is the first time I've gone into a zone that I was like people really could say I'm trying to capitalize on tragedy and all of that but you could say that about every thriller that kills off a woman you know which is like every thriller (laughs) so um (laughs) so there's a lot of tragedy in books like that's what books you know are about a lot of times but so I worried about it but I've actually been surprised by the overwhelming like positive response I've gotten so once people have read the book, in including, you know, like the, re- the official reviewers at Kirkus and all that, like I've gotten really good reviews on it of like I've handled it in a way that people have appreciated. So thank God, you know, because you never know if you're really going to pull it off. You, you know what you want to do and what your intention is, but whether it happens, you know, if you actually pull it off or not, you don't know until the book's out there. But um, But I've gotten really good feedback of like, 
this was cathartic or this, you know, was not what I expected it to be in a good way. Like, you know, people kind of went in thinking it was going to be a lot scarier or depressing than the book turns out to be because the book is about healing and hope. I mean, that is the theme of the book, all of them, all in the series. Um, so I've actually been really happy about the response and I've, I've had no one, no one has come to me and said like, I can't believe you wrote a book about this or you didn't handle it in a, you know, gentle way. And um, so it's been a really good response and I, I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Well, the next one is that we mentioned, the third one in the series um, is coming out in January 2019, and it's called The One You Fight For. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us about that one? Because it'll be your next one. Right. So this one um, is about Taryn, who's one of the women in the book, and um, she's a forensic psychologist. So basically, her she lost her sister and her younger sister in the shooting. Um, so her mission in life is basically to find out why people do the things they do, like why school shooters do what they do. So she's dedicated her whole life to that research. Um, and that's really been her driving force in her life. And then she stumbles upon um, the hero who happens to be the older brother of one of the shooters. <gasps> yeah. <Ooh>. So <laughs> there's a huge conflict there. Um, and the brother who's the hero has all of this he's been sort of in hiding because you know media and all of that um and he has this internal guilt that he was not there for his brother he was training for the olympics so he was a high level athlete and really pretty much got all the attention in the family and so he has this like ongoing you know guilt that he should have been there and not let his brother go down this path or maybe if he had been there he wouldn't have turned um in that direction so there's a lot for them to work through um obviously if she falls in love with this hero introducing him to her family who mm. have lost a dog you know so it was a this one was probably the most emotional one to have to like the content to write but um i feel like it you know it really was they are the right people for each other um and they have a lot of healing to do together through that so um but yeah that's what it's about so the one you fight for is she's fighting for her sister is the the play on the title and then they're fighting for each other so. oh, wow wow i always say i mean one of my things is one of my biggest not pet peeves critiques i guess of contemporary mm -hmm. romance is the conflict you know you mm -hmm. it's so hard to make a good conflict in contemporary romance but i'd say you got it i mean that's <laughs> a pretty good one thanks yeah what's funny is when i read books that have like light conflict contemporary romances and they pull it off i'm always in like amazement because i'm like how do you do that like i can't do that like i have to have like really tough conflict to to write through it but like some of them and it can be done really well there are some authors who do it great and i love the books and i'm like how did they managed to write the whole book about this very minor thing you know but it was right. good no yeah so, yeah you yeah. just have to do it well I mean it can be about like you know I don't know you're you use my stapler at the office or something <laughs> we can't get this festival together or something you know right. like, yeah but yeah I just I I was a therapist before I was a writer so I think I just where I get all of my words and ideas from is that like really deep emotional conflict and if it's not there then I'm, I'm stuck I can't write so well, your publisher has been hitting these covers out of the park because they're all just so swoony and gorgeous. Thank um, you. Yeah, and they the, do an amazing job. They have a great team there. 
Yeah, just just really beautiful. And I even the one that's coming, the one you fight for in January is is that a biracial couple on the co- cover? She's biracial, so okay. Yeah, her mom's African American, her dad is white. Okay, well, because they that's just so rare too for a, there to be a good. <laughs> Yes. Cover featuring a biracial person or a person of color. So Mm -hmm. they did a beautiful job with that. It's just really outstanding. Thank you. Yeah, they've been really good about it. And the first book is actually the heroine's Hispanic. And they they put a Hispanic um, model on the cover of that one, too. So I've been really happy with, I mean, they send me covers, usually five or six to choose from. And they're always like, all of them are great. (laughs) So they've they've done a really great job. And it's nice to have people on my covers again, because I was when I did erotic romance, there was no people on the covers. So it's nice to be like, Oh, characters. Yay, I get to see people. (laughs) Yeah, especially hot, good looking ones. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I am a big fan of your blog and your newsletter. And um, I think I've complimented you in person with it. But um, one of the things that you were really open about last summer and this summer was your screen free summer am i is that mm-hmm. what you call it or do you have another yeah screen free it? or device free i kind of device used them free. Both. yeah mm-hmm. and it started off with you doing it mainly for your son mm-hmm. um and then i guess but i think you started to incorporate some of the um i don't know rules i mean tell, tell yeah. us about like how that sure. evolved for you because i I'm fascinated as a Kindle reader how to make that work. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I did it for my son mainly, like you said. He's um, he's on the autism spectrum, very high functioning. But I started to notice when he played lots of video games or when he was on his iPad too much, he was just you know more annoyed with me if I talked to him or he would snap at me or just like not be himself because he's usually a pretty happy-go-lucky kid, and um, so. I'm like, okay, I was, you know, and for me, if I have an issue, I read a book about it. Like, that's that's my go-to thing. I um, I told my husband I need a shirt that says I read an article because every conversation I start is, I read this article. Um, but I went and read all the books I could find on, you know, the effects of screen time and kids and the brain and all of this stuff. And so it convinced me that, okay, we're going to try for the summer to go device-free mainly because I, I did allow TV, but he's not a big TV watcher unless he's watching with us. So that really wasn't his issue. So he gave up all video games, no iPad. Um, and that included like traveling on planes and places that usually we would really like lean on the iPad to keep him busy. Um, but after probably about a week of him being kind of grumpy about it, he took to it like fully because we had planned in things knowing that he wouldn't have devices. So we planned board game nights and we planned movie nights with popcorn and all these little, you know, kind of cheap, but minor activities. And, um, so he got into the fun of that. Um, and we also signed him up for guitar lessons. So that was the other trade-off we did. And, um, he did so well and it was so like convincing, like obvious in his attitude and stuff that I'm like, well, maybe I need to look at my own device habits because, you know, I'm on them all the time. Um, so yeah, I started to limit, like I got the, the moment app on my computer so that in the afternoons, the internet would shut off. Um, I put an app on my phone that it tells me how many, how long I've been on the internet. It'll like, you know, pop up with a notification that you've been on too long or been on your device at all too long. And, um, just mainly for, focus and me being able to write I wanted to kind of get back to not being distracted and um it's helped me a lot just looking at like how many books I read each year like usually I read about 40 to 50 
like I'm already almost at 50 for this year. And it's because instead of going to my device, I'm picking up a book instead or, you know, traveling with a book in my purse instead of taking out my phone. Um, I don't count the Kindle, as you were saying, as a Kindle reader, I don't count the Kindle as a screen for me, for, you know, because I have the paper, the e-ink kind. Mm-hmm. So as long as it's not a backlit screen, you know, I'm okay with that. And with my son, I would have let him if he wanted to read a book on a Kindle. I'm not going to tell him he can't read a book. <laughs> that will never happen. Right. But, uh, but yeah, and then this summer when it started... I didn't plan on doing device-free summer and um, with him. And he came to me and he's like, are we going to do that again? And I'm like, if you want. And he said he wanted to do it again. So he voluntarily did it this summer. So, that, yeah. That is amazing. And I think it gives probably a lot of moms who are listening hope and <laughs> admiration. And <laughs> yeah, I will say that when it feels like it's impossible because he was on the iPad all the time. So it wasn't like he was a light user and he had been using it for years. So it was really drastic for me to cut him off from it, but it kids are resilient. And he, I mean, and now he's been playing guitar for a year and is like this great little guitarist. So, and he loves, he's fallen in love with music. So it really, it can be done. It's not easy for that first like week to 10 days, but after that, if you can get through it, it it can be done. It is really, yeah, it's, we took the screens away from one of my kids as a punishment for mm-hmm. something she did this summer. And I told my husband, I was like, this is more of a punishment for yeah. me because <laughs> I'm at home and I have to hear about it. And, mm-hmm. um, but she did, I think it did eventually she was like, Oh, I'm going to go read. That mm-hmm. is actually fun too. And, um, you know, just still, I think I probably could have planned if we had done it on purpose, it wasn't a yeah. punishment. I yeah. think it would have been uh, a little bit more um, effective. But um, yeah, that's yeah. That's... If I had told my son it was a punishment, he would have been all rebel. <laughs> it would have been. But worth. We we explained it to him of like we think this will be good for your your brain. So he can he kind of he can relate on that level. So he's like okay, we'll try this. So he's he's good like that. And I think I asked you RWA, and I forget now what it was. But you have? Do you still read on Kindle, or have you mainly gone back to paper because a, of all this research? <laughs> I'm about sixty forty. So okay. sixty with print, sixty percent print, um, and then forty percent ebook. And it's mainly the books I can't get in paper, you know, because a lot of books are just an ebook. I get on ebook, or if like the price is vastly different, if it's twenty five dollars for a hardback versus you know twelve for a Kindle. Um, but in general, I'm preferring paper lately just because I can get away from my screen completely. It, it's a little bit more calming before bed and stuff. So, but yeah, I don't have anything against either one because I do f- read in both. But yeah, I've I've definitely gravitated more towards print because I do keep track because I'm a nerd. <laughs> so I keep track of like how how many I read in print and um, in ebook. And it has shifted over the last probably three years more to print. Well, so. I think the the clue that you've moved over was uh, your new purse purchase that you (laughs) posted about um, that you had to buy a new purse for very specific reasons because of all this. Yes, I needed a purse big enough for a hardback (laughs) because I I subscribe to like Book of the Month Club and it's always a hardback and um and a lot of the nonfiction I read is in hardback and so I had this tiny little purse that would fit my Kindle but it wouldn't fit like a bigger book so I had to go to Target and like measure to make sure I could fit a hardback in a, in my purse before I bought a new purse but yes I officially have one now so it's awesome which made me laugh and I don't think I said this on Facebook but it made me laugh because from I would have expected you have a big purse for your planners 
because right. I know you're a planner person too, but apparently that didn't make you, you don't carry those around or? <laughs> yeah, I don't travel with my planner at all. So I have the day designer and it's big and bulky and it's great, but I don't, I don't have to travel a lot for, you know, day to day for work. I work from home. I have a home office, so it just stays and pretty and nice and neat in my office with, you know, without having to shove it in a bag. And then if I travel like to RWA and things like that, I just usually print out planner pages and tuck it in like a, you know, a folder or something. So I don't travel with the big planner. That would be a lot. I'd probably have a, a stooped shoulder. <laughs> it's so big and heavy. <laughs> so. But isn't that funny? I was just, yeah, because when you said, I have to get a new purse, I'm like, what? You didn't have one for the planner? Because that <laughs> that is me. I'm like, I will take a Kindle and my planner. So mm-hmm. those which are my planner, priorities. Which planner are you using? A Hobonichi Cousin. Ah, uh, yes. So That's it's not best. huge, huge, but... Yeah. But it's got wonderful paper. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I know. I was looking at some of the other ones you've been posting lately. So for those who don't know, uh, we're both planner people, and we uh, are in a planner group on Facebook. So excuse us <laughs> while we talk about planners. No. Um, but so this time of year, because school's starting, and it's we're looking at 2019 already, everyone's posting, like, different. All the companies are posting, like, mm-hmm. their new planners and stuff. So I look at them. I'm like, oh, I really like that. I really like that layout. But the the paper of the Hobonichi is mm-hmm. so great. You can fit. It doesn't smear. I'm a lefty too. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. that's nice for me that it's not going to, I can smear, but very rarely. Um, it's got daily, weekly, monthly. So it just has everything in a beautiful little Japanese package. And yeah. I just love it. Yeah. Only writers <sighs> would get together and talk about paper and how awesome it is. I know. <laughs> When I find someone in real life, they're like, oh, I actually, I just had a friend of mine. She's like, my daughter's wanting a new planner for school. I'm like, okay, here, what does she want? <laughs> right, let's talk. Let me, do you need a coupon for that? I know where to get a code. Right. <laughs> well, you've kind of mentioned it a few times, and it's um, something that doesn't come up as often on this podcast. Um, we, but nonfiction reading, and I know that you are a huge nonfiction reader, mm-hmm. um, but and you keep track of all this. So, what percentage nonfiction versus fiction do you read? Usually, do you it's, have it's that a, statistic on the top of your head. <laughs> not, not to the point, but <laughs> probably about forty percent to fifty percent is nonfiction. So, I read a lot of nonfiction. Um, usually, it's about productivity or the brain or screen time or creativity um sometimes it's about completely random topics like food you know I love food books I I don't know I have a thing about food books but um but yeah I don't I don't know if it's just the information part that I love but it also sometimes will you know trigger story ideas like I said so I'm I really just want to learn all the things about all the things. <laughs> so that's why I'm really attracted to nonfiction. And usually I have one nonfiction going at the same time as a fiction. So I can, I don't typically read two fiction books at the same time, but I can do a nonfiction and fiction and kind of bounce back and forth depending on what mood I'm in, you know, at the time. Like in the mornings, if I want to read, I usually want to read nonfiction. In the evenings, I usually want fiction. So hmm. yeah, I don't know why. Maybe it's I, my brain's too tired in the evening to process too much, you know. Yeah. information but yeah well and that's one reason why I love your blog and newsletter which I'm I'm kind of putting those two together because I think there's a big overlap yes mm-hmm. um so for listeners out there if you want to know more about the nonfiction books Ronnie reads just subscribe to our newsletter because I think you put in most 
if not all of them the ones you definitely recommend you put yeah. in there yeah fiction and nonfiction. i if i love the book i'll, I'll post it on the blog or in, in, that all the blogs go out into the newsletter so they are definitely linked yeah it's 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 nice to i, I get excited when i get one of your newsletters i'm like oh what's she gonna tell me to read now and sometimes it's like i can go well that's not really for me but mm-hmm. um it's i'm just a book nerd obviously hi right. podcast um and i just like hearing about what other people have to say about about their favorite books um yeah. so thank you for providing that to oh all you're welcome us. um and so speaking of which you had a blog post recently that i kind of wanted to get more into where you talked about reader personality and book recommendations mm-hmm. um do you do you want to talk about that sure sure <laughs> yeah so as you know, Lindsay, but nobody else would know, is I was in a class about personality and writing. So it kind of taught me about different aspects of my personality and why I write a certain way and why my books are a certain way. But that also translated into why do I read the books that I read and why do I like the books that I like? And it was kind of this epiphany to me of like, oh, so because we've all had the experience, right, where everybody is raving about a book. And so you go and you get the book and you read it and you're like, I don't like this at all. Like, what are other people seeing? Like, this is terrible. And so to me, I never understood, like, what, why is it such a disparate thing? Like, if a book is well-written, shouldn't it be enjoyable for most people? But no. So it's based on what we personally are attracted to in a book. And so I realize when I give a book recommendation, that's going to come into play. So if I am on my blog and recommending a a fiction book, if I say I love it, it usually is going to mean that it had really deep characterization and that it had likable characters. Um, because for my personality, I, I'm not as much about the intricacy of the plot. If I don't like the characters and I don't know a lot about the characters, like get all of their information and backstory and why they are the way they are, then I'm not real invested in the book. Now I have another friend who she's the complete opposite. So she loves a twisty, turny plot. She reads a lot of suspense. Um, so the character's depth is not really that important to her is if the suspense is written well. So I know now when I recommend a book to her, like this might not be for you, or I didn't like this because it didn't have deep characterization, but I think you would love it because the mystery was amazing. So it's going to make me think differently when I, you know, suggest a book on the blog of like, I like this because of these reasons. So if you're a reader who really likes this thing too, then this will probably be a good book for you. If you're not, then it might not be the best for you. So that's kind of what the blog post was about of if you come to me for a suggestion it's going to usually have really good characterization. Um, and it's, it's going to be less, you know, heavy focused on the plot. So, and is that going to change how you recommend books from now on? I mean, are you going to be pointing that out to people or are, yeah, they I should just know that? <laughs> no, I think I'm going to be able to point it out. I mean, in the blog post, I kind of talked about the things that make a book great for me. Um, like, for instance, page turning. Like, I don't like a slow book. It. Some people really like very, you know, slowly paced books if it's great literary fiction and all of that. And they can stick with it. I, I need to be moving pages quick. Um But like I recommended on the blog, the last one I recommended was The Last Time I Lied by Riley Steger, which is a suspense. And I I recommended it. It was like, this is actually a book that I normally wouldn't fit my mold of what I like because it was much more about twisty plot than it was about the depth of the characterization. 
but the twists were so good that it still won me over. So it's not like I can't like something else. So I was able to go into the details of like, you're going to like this if you like twist, if you like a little horror and a suspense, if you, you know, so I think it is going to affect how I recommend books and say like, if you'll like it, if you like this versus just, this is a great book, you should read it because not everybody's going to think it's a great book. Well, I love the blog because as you kind of alluded to, we were in the same class and Mm -hmm. I'd already kind of started thinking my thoughts about that. And then I saw your blog. I was like, oh, Ronnie, Ronnie got it. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going to post it online and I'm like, no, no, I'll just save it for our conversation. So um, because I think it's a good way for all readers to kind of just spend some time thinking about identifying what they like out of a book and Mm -hmm. it will help you I think find more books like that or when you're talking to other readers because if someone says um oh I just love the way they described the the interiors (laughs) of the mansion I'd be like yawn okay (laughs) I you know that's not what me it sounds interesting but Mm -hmm. I know that I usually if I have something with a bunch of description honestly I I float over it you know Mm -hmm. I'm just like give me what the next time they kiss or you know right. the secret panel in the wall or something right. like that like I don't I don't really care what right. the you know brocade looks like um but it is interesting also as you know from as an, from an author perspective to kind of identify what it is that we're going to be doing for mm-hmm. readers in this book and what we're not going to be, you know so maybe I won't be describing the you know heirloom tomato plants right. or something right <laughs> but what i will be doing is giving you a kiss in a secret panel you know right so, right um that's a yeah. really interesting ex- uh, exercise to go through yeah and I, it definitely applies to writing because i remember early on um well when i first sold my very first book i sent it in it was a contemporary erotic romance to my agent and she said well erotic Um, suspense is really hot right now at the time it was having a moment so she's like you have some suspense elements in here why don't you heighten that and make it more of an erotic suspense so you know I'm a new writer this is my first chance this new first time with an agent so I'm like sure I'll do that well I discover really quickly (laughs) that you know I'm all about the characters and not so much the hiding secrets and the suspense so I rewrote it and it was really difficult to do that that way. And I sent it to my agent and she's like, yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> she's like, you're a contemporary erotic romance author. And I'm like, ah, that's what I thought, but you know, okay. So we laugh about it now. But um, every time I come up with an idea that has like a suspense element, I have to like pull myself back and go, no, Ronnie, no, <laughs> no, you can't. You like suspense, but you can't write it. So, um, so yeah, I've learned about myself that wh- where my strengths lie is not burying, you know, mystery secrets and all of that. Like I just, it's not what I do well so I uh, I definitely think it applies personality wise both ways so reading and and writing but but most of the time if people who are coming to my blog who have read my books and liked my books I think they're going to like the books I recommend because mm-hmm. I the things I like in other people's books are the things I try to put in my books so yeah. I think it definitely translates well I'm definitely going to put a link to that blog post in the show notes so other readers can the readers who are listening to this uh, episode right now can go look at it and because I think that's probably sparking a lot of ideas in people's heads and and like I said when I read your blog I was I think I probably journaled on that that day and like came up with 
and it was interesting how fast it came up like if I mm-hmm. really spent I just spent like a few minutes and I could come up with five six things right away I was like oh these are my things that I want to read and that I want to write mm-hmm. um so I'll probably be doing my own blog post soon about that and and see if people agree with me I don't know if that's a awesome. scary thing too. <laughs> no I think it's interesting though like and I'd, I'd love to hear other people's like takes on what they're kind of check boxes are that they're looking for because it's, it's just really interesting to me and it, it determines a lot of what genre you go digging in or subgenre of romance because like we learned in our class different subgenres are going to play to different you know things some are going to be more about characters some are going to be more about lots of sex scenes you know like an erotic romance like if you can't write great sex you know an erotic romance you're not going to get a lot of readers um, so it really can be genre specific and it's it's all very fascinating to me super interesting have you ever gotten a a comment or a note from an editor or your agent that surprised you like they said oh you're really good at this and you're like well I, I am oh good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that's a good question um I think the good news is I usually don't get a lot of notes because I'm such a I am a possessive writer so I you know by the time they, they get it I've gone through like a thousand versions of the book um but I think what I like best is when they laugh at something like it's you know a joke or some funny situation and like I didn't realize it was that funny but you know so it's always like fun to see a little smiley face like that they enjoyed um that so yeah I look forward to amongst all you know the typos and things that they're fixing that I get a couple of smiley faces here and there I will say I think that the humor parts do give me a little um Anxiety, because sometimes when they laugh at something, you're like, "Well, I didn't mean to make that funny." (laughs) Um, But I think I just have kind of a naturally funny voice, so people will like hear snark when Mm -hmm. I didn't necessarily mean it, but I just am snarky naturally. But I think the other times where like um, I had a couple, uh, I won't mention the book, but I had a book where um, the copy editor did not get my jokes. That's the worst. And was like trying to correct them. I'm like, Mm -hmm. no, that that mistake is mm-hmm. a joke <laughs> yeah i have been there yeah it, if, if a copy editor doesn't get your humor or your voice it's it can be a really trying copy edit so i actually had that experience a couple of times where i'm like you know canceling everything they you know have tried to change because i'm like no no i i was being sarcastic there i really i meant to do that so yeah I mean but it does make you second guess it too you're like wait mm -hmm. maybe that's not such a good joke (laughs) if if someone's not getting it (laughs) right or you use a slang word and they're like they fix it and it's like you have to go ask your friends like this is a word that people use for this right like or an expression that they use right yeah oh I had a friend who's another author and she used the term um I think I can say this and no one will identify she used the term Le Sai, like L E, mm-hmm. like it's like French, Le Sai. Right. You know? mm-hmm. And I and then she got that note from the copy editor and they were trying to like change lay or something or they thought mm-hmm. it was like someone oh they thought it was like lee side and so but there was no character named lee and so she like came to us and she was like what is happening why is this not obvious and we're like yeah mm-hmm. that's like a it's a slang thing like the side mm-hmm. um but that copy editor had clearly was clearly like 85 years old or mm-hmm. something right I don't know. was not down with the slang <laughs> yeah. but i do appreciate copy editors yes, what they do because i'm sure. not a detail-oriented person so mm-hmm. Um, I please come into my books yes. and tell me all the details that I yes. missed. <laughs> yes. 
Yes, they do save us much more than they annoy us. So that's true. Yes, very much so. I mean, the fact that I'm only thinking of like three incidents and mm-hmm. other times I'm like, yes, please. Thank you so much for that. Yeah. Um, was there, you mentioned earlier that you started off as a, as a therapist. Um, mm-hmm. What turned you on to writing or what made you into a writer? Well, I always wanted to be a writer. I wrote, my very first novel was written in high school and it was New Kids on the Block fan fiction. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so early on, I think I was 15 when I wrote that. And I, I legitimately wrote it and like was planning to query it because, yeah, because you're, you know, 15 and full of confidence. But uh, I ended up checking it out at the last minute. But I had bought like the book because it was before, you know, we had all the Internet access. I had a book of the agents, you know, that you had to flip through and like mail things in the mail. But um, yeah, so I didn't send it. But that was my first kind of attempt at writing. And then. I started college as a double major in English and psychology because I was interested in both things. And then as you do when you get to college, you're like, I should be practical and why am I doing a double major and killing myself? So I dropped the English major and went to psychology and ended up getting my master's in social work. And I did that for a number of years. And um, then I had my son and I was planning to go back to work and had my son (laughs) it was like I really really don't want to go back to work now I don't want to put him in daycare and um, that was not our plan but we figured out how to make it work but you know three months home with a newborn and I was like oh my god I have to do something like I'm climbing the walls and I'm not sleeping and all of that so writing became kind of like an escape to get back to and um so yeah he was born in 2007 I got a book deal in 2010 so it took three books in you know about two and a half years but uh yeah that's how I got back into it but it was always part of who I was um I just you know wanted to actually have a job that made money when I got out of college not although I went to social work so it's not like you make a ton but um something to support myself and not starve um so it was one of the things writing was something I had to come back to later when I could afford to take a little time off and do it um yeah, I think I think you you find a whole industry of people <laughs> that started off with doing something else because mm-hmm. just the, our society doesn't tell you that writing books is something no. that makes money and sometimes it doesn't. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think too, it, I, I don't regret going through getting my master's and being a therapist because I don't know if I would write the way I write if I hadn't gone through those years of working with people and dealing with, you know, mental illness, um, you know, helping people through that. And I worked with kids and, um, an incident or in one of my jobs and then I did adoption work. So I, I got to see a lot of different parts of, you know, humanity and human emotion and all of that. And it taught me a lot about people and, um, and empathy and all of those things. So I don't, I don't regret any of that. Um, I'm glad I'm not doing anymore because it's a very difficult job. Not that writing isn't, but it's social work is difficult in much, much harder way. Oh um, yeah, emotionally is you know if you're a sensitive person, it's a hard job to with high empathy. It's a hard job to be in, but uh, but and yeah, that's what I, you need to be a good social worker. Is yeah, you need the high empathy, and then like I, I know several ex social workers, and they were just really destroyed sometimes yeah. by what they had to deal with. Yeah, I worked with like for the adoption. I worked with birth mothers, so it was people placing their babies for adoption and I mean what can be more emotional than that so I would come home from that and it's just like I don't know how you you know recover after a day of that so day after day of that is really tough but Mm -hmm. um 
but yeah I think it definitely has informed my writing and makes me think about lots of different people in lots of different situations so I'm I'm glad I did it well let's talk about I know you put all your recommendations on the blog but maybe you have some other new things so what have you been reading or recommending lately um, right now I'm reading the other Riley Sager book, The Final Girls. So these books are suspense, with, but they're based on like horror movie themes. So like The Last Time I Lied has like the sleepaway camp backstory. You know, mm. girls, yeah, girls killed at a sleepaway camp and now it's a decade later and they're trying to figure out what happened. And then The Final Girls is about three different women who survived like serial killer murders and um, come back together and are figuring out a new suspense but so kind of dark and different than what I normally read but they've been good and then um I just read an audience of one I don't know how to pronounce the author's name Srinivas Rao I think is the name but it's about creativity and how to kind of reclaim uh your creativity just for you like to get back into the enjoyment of just creating something and not thinking about all the pressures of like deadlines and where is this going to sell and who's going to read this and oh like, my gosh one click one click <laughs> <laughs> right so it's it was it was good it was um you know some of the stuff in it because I read all the books about all the things I had read from different books but um but I did like the concept of you know sometimes you just have to whatever your creativity is so for me writing just have to write something like and not think about where you're going to sell it and how you're gonna put it out there like just write it because you want to write it and it's fun to write and so you know this eight nine years into a writing career I think that's a a thing that I need to do (laughs) sometimes Mm -hmm. is just write for the fun of it even though I I do like writing but you know it is a job as as you know so you do get in the rut of going writing to your deadlines and you kind of lose a little bit of the whimsy mm-hmm. um, that you have early on but yeah or so. you're writing something and then you're like well, last time I did this and editor said this mm-hmm. this and so maybe I'll change it to what I know that they're gonna like and yeah 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 so but yeah that's what what I've been reading and um I'm also reading Constant Craving by Tamara Lush it's a serial so mm-hmm. I decided to try that um in serial format because that's happening now so you know different serial services are popping up so I wanted to see what, what that was like so I'm reading a couple of things right now as you do mm-hmm. which one is in your purse in my purse <laughs> is final girls <laughs> okay <laughs> and do you get those from you've mentioned the book of the book of the month club is that uh-huh. on your subscription okay um and I've seen you post those photos too so have you you've been a member of that for a while right yeah I the book of the month club is one that's been around like when our parents were you know getting book of the month like decades ago that it's the same company but they like completely revamped the whole system I think three years ago and I've been a member pretty much since they launched the revamped version um but yeah you get a pick of one hardback a month from usually five that they choose you can skip months and not get charged so that's really nice and um and usually like the hardback you're paying i think 14.99 a month and um the hardbacks are usually like 25 dollars hardbacks new releases so it's it's a good deal and it forces me to kind of try other genres outside of my normal romance stuff because you know i'm in the romance world i know a lot of ya writers so i find my book recommendations through there pretty easily but i like to stretch you know and read from different genres because i feel like that can help inform my own writing 
mm-hmm. kind of, you know, put variety in the mix. And so book of the month is really good about picking things that I would never probably have looked at just on my own um, and trying new authors and new genres that I usually don't read in. And it's been really good. So yeah. I, I've, I've enjoyed it. Because I think you do post pictures of what you've gotten. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't know if it's on your blog or newsletter, but I go, wow, I haven't heard of that or that would not be something I would pick up. Right. <laughs> right. But I'm sure it's good. I mean, just you get into ruts. And that's what I like about the library, honestly. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe the library is like my book of the month because I go in and I check out new releases. I'm like, I have not heard of any of these because we get in our little book caves mm-hmm. and um, talk to the same people over and over again. And then we go, oh, there's so many books out there. Right. <laughs> Which is a blessing and a curse. Which, but yeah. Yes, I know. I know. Yeah. Well, um, would you like to go ahead and do our lightning round? I finish up all my interviews with uh, some fun questions. Are you sure. ready? Sure. Okay. All right. Dark or milk chocolate? Dark. Coffee or tea? Coffee. When your phone rings, do you answer it? No. How do you normally waste time on the internet? reading articles (laughs) I read an article Uh Um, on your next vacation would it be to the mountains or the beach mountains for sure do you call it soda or pop soda I don't even really call it soda I call it soft drink so oh that is a new one very (laughs) formal (laughs) I don't know I'm from New Orleans so maybe that's what we call it there so yeah I don't know y'all are Mm -hmm. like a whole nother little (laughs) colony into yourselves right um on a romance hero do you prefer abs forearms or a chiseled jaw abs are you more likely to buy a book cover with abs on it or a beach scene probably a beach scene okay and the very important last question what are your feelings about turning to the last page of a book first never (laughs) never When I was reading this question, I was like, I bet she's a never girl. Mm -mm. I mean, people surprise me all the time with this, but I just had a feeling about you. Yeah, I don't want any spoilers for sure. And I mean, if you read romance, I know even when I'm scared, it's going to end okay. (laughs) So I don't have to flip to the end. Like, I know I don't know how they're going to get there, but I know eventually that's what I love about romance, that it's going to be okay. So. And on that note, we will end with an happily ever after. (laughs) Thank you so much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Lindsay. It was fun.